something on my, on my heart. I want to share from the gospel of Mark, the good news about Jesus from Mark's perspective. Mark chapter 8, and I want to begin reading at verse number 22. This is what it says. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more... Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were open. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Verse 25 contains the clause of concern. It says this, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. I want to talk from this subject, ATL. I'm going to share what's on my heart and get out of your way. Here's the subject. Do it again. do it again. I want to ease into this introduction tonight by informing some and reminding others that your God, the one Paul Tillich calls the uncaused cause, that God, among all that he is, is a finisher. I'm going to say that one more time. The God that has revealed himself through scripture is a God that is a finisher. In other words, he does not irresponsibly leave anything undone. When he commits and covenants to something, he commits to completion. He's not a pseudo, quasi partial, halfway doing something kind of God. He's a finisher. So when he helps, he doesn't have help. When he fixes, he doesn't have fix. When he heals, he doesn't have heal. When he delivers, he doesn't have deliver. When he opens a door, he doesn't have open a door. The God that has revealed himself in scripture is a finisher. And if you believe he's not finished with you, even in the introduction, give him a praise that's reflective of your expectation. Yeah. Why did I ask you to do that? Because if God is a finisher, that means if it's not finished in your life, God isn't done. Did you hear what I just said? I said, if it didn't finish, then God isn't done. I came to tell you that God never works incompletely, but he does work incrementally. And sometimes God's incremental working can cause some anxiety with us because sometimes you will look at all that he is done and incorrectly conclude that's all he will do. I came to Atlanta tonight. <laughs> To tell somebody he's not finished with you yet. 
That side didn't get it. Let me try this side over here. I said, I came to Atlanta tonight to tell somebody he's not finished yet. He's a finisher. I want to tell you, it may look like God has stopped. He hasn't stopped. He's just working in steps. And sometimes he puts space between the steps. And it's the space that makes us uncomfortable. It's the space that conjures up anxiety and discomfort. But do you know what space is? All space is, is the room between one door and another one. I don't know if you know this, but all a hallway is, is space. And some of you are wondering, where am I right now? You're just in a hallway. What does that mean? You're just in between doors. When somebody say, what's going on with your life? Just tell them, I'm in a hallway. Yeah, when you're coming out of a relationship, just say, I'm in a hallway. See, some people can only praise them when they get to the door. I believe I got some people in here tonight that'll say, I'm going to praise them in the hallway. Somebody give him a hallway praise tonight. I don't know what's next, but I sense something is next. I don't know what's about to happen, but I sense something is about to happen. And I'm not going to wait until I get to it to thank him. I'm going to thank him all the way there. God is a finisher. And the text we just read here in Mark is an example of what I'm trying to articulate. Don't take my word for it. The Bible confirms, it corroborates that God's a finisher. We saw it right here in Mark chapter number 8. The text opens by letting us know that Jesus and his disciples go to a specific place called Bethsaida. And the text says this, some people bring a blind man to Jesus and beg Jesus to touch him. Now I want you to be able to identify with what's going on here. Charles Spurgeon says that the physical ailments in the Bible are metaphors for spiritual or emotional ailments. See, if you don't know that, then you'll look at a blind man and say, I can't relate to that. But you in the text. I'm in the text. All of us are in the text. I said, you in the text. I'm in the text. All of us are in the text. You might see a paralyzed man in the Bible and say, I can't relate to that. Oh, yes, you can. You in the text. I'm in the text. All of us are in the text because you if you've ever been in a season where you felt immobile stuck and stagnant that text is for you Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, and so blindness blind the blindness blindness here is a metaphor for a loss of vision You may say I've never been blind but if you're honest, you've hit some seasons where you lost your vision or something stole your vision. But I'm glad you came to change night tonight. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm glad you came to change night tonight because you are about to find it or God's about to make the devil give it back.
You better come get me tonight. I said he's about to make the devil give it back. He used trauma to take your vision, but he's got to give it back. He used heartbreak to take your vision, but he's got to give it back. He used a failed business to take your vision, but tonight, he's got to give it back. Because this next season of my life requires vision. I got to be able to see. I don't have time to waste, time to play. Every move needs to be a God move. Every step needs to be a strategic step. Too much is depending on it. Got to steward this season well. And when there is an absence of clarity, there's an absence of acceleration. You go slow when you don't know where you're going. Yeah, have you ever driven behind somebody and you're like, they don't know where they're going. And that's what happens in life. But God's about to give you clarity. And once you get clarity, you're about to get speed. Everybody that believes you're behind schedule, but God's getting ready to press the gas. Give him praise tonight. It's a blind man. Don't miss this. But the text says the only way the blind man gets to Jesus, come here Atlanta, is that some people bring him. I said he's blind. So he cannot find his way to Jesus. Without people in his life, who are assisting him. Please don't miss this. If they brought him to Jesus, it means he had people in his life that wasn't blind. I'm not asking, are your friends cool? I'm asking, are they blind? I'm not asking, are they loyal? I'm asking, are they blind? I'm not asking, do they love you? I'm asking, can they see? So that when you can't see, they can get you to the right place. Because some of your friends taking you to the wrong place when you get blind. The stuff you're dealing with, you need more than one night out to get that off your mind. You need somebody that can take you to Jesus. They took him to Jesus. And the text says, they begged Jesus to touch him. I'm not going to bother this. <laughs> but the text doesn't say the man was mute. It just says he was blind. I want to know, why couldn't you ask Jesus for yourself? Because sometimes when you get hurt in one area, it affects you in another. So his eye problem might have caused a mouth problem. Because a mouth problem never a mouth problem. They begged, him, they begged Jesus to touch. This is a type of intercession. Not just intercessory prayer. 
It's intercessory faith. Intercessory faith? Oh yeah, that's all in scripture. Do you not remember the paraplegic that needed to get to Jesus? Found out Jesus was at a house in town. He had friends that carried him to the house. But they were so committed to him being mobile when they couldn't get in the house because of the crowd, they climbed on top of it, tore a hole in the roof and let him down. See, you need friends that believe enough in you, not just to carry you, but to climb with you. In accessory faith, that's John 11. Lazarus is in a tomb. He's dead. He cannot believe for himself. But his sisters, Mary and Martha, go to Jesus and say, even though it's four days, even now, you can raise him up in accessory faith. They bring and believe for their friend. Are y'all ready for where I'm getting ready to go? It means they didn't want him blind. Because some people like you better when you're blind. I said some people like you better when you're blind, when you're visionless, when you can't see your future, and when you can't see them for who they really are. They love that you're operating with codependency. They love that they got to carry you around. Because once this issue gets fixed, I might not need you the same way. So do you love me or do you love being needed? And the only way we can tell is how you treat me when I start walking and seeing. Here's the text. Text says they bring him to Jesus and beg Jesus to touch him. I'm almost done. Y'all all right? The, the text says this. It says, we read it, Jesus took the man by the hand. Wait a minute. I thought his eyes were not functioning properly. Why is it that the first thing you touch isn't the thing that's broken? This man's eyes aren't functioning properly, but his eyes are not the first thing Jesus touches. Jesus said, I know that's broke, but I'm going to touch something else first. Because I don't want to just fix you. I want to teach you. Before I give you a blessing, I want to give you a lesson. He says, what I want first is your hand. I'm using your eyes to get your hand. Because when you meet me, you just want to give me what's broke. You want me to fix. I want to lead. Did you hear what I just said? 
He says, you just want me to get to fix it. He says, before I get to fix it, I need you to trust me enough to let me lead you. The text says he took his hand and he led him outside the village. Here it is. I know there are some things we want God to fix. And God's saying, before I fix, will you let me lead? We're trying to give him our broken relationships. He's saying, give me your hand first. <laughs> We're trying to give him our broken heart. He said, give me your hand first. We're trying to give him our broken dreams. He said, give me your hand first. Because if you give me your hand, I'll take you to green pastures and still waters. If you give me your hand, there are some things you're praying for now you don't even have to ask me for. I'll walk you into blessings you didn't even request. If you give me your hand, I'll walk you into doors that are exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think. And I want to know, is there anybody in Atlanta tonight that's honest enough to say, after all the decisions I made, Jesus, take the wheel respectfully. Don't miss this. It says he takes the man and he leads him outside the village. <sighs> outside of where he grew up. Away from what was familiar and comfortable. He said, I can't heal you here. I got to orchestrate some separation because you don't know how the village may be impacting what I'm attempting to do in your life. He leads him outside the village. And the text says he then spits on the man's eyes. Now what? <laughs> what is the reason for putting saliva on his eyes? Come on, don't sanitize the story. Don't sanitize it. Let's stay here for a minute. He spit on his eyes. Now, I don't know a lot about this, but I did some research. And I discovered that saliva is often used to confirm DNA. So the first thing he did was he put his DNA on him. Did you hear what I just said? He said, the first thing I need to do is I need to put your, my DNA on you, some of my traits and some of my features. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, I, I need to make sure that you, that you look like me, that, that you got my nose. Come on. See, sometimes we want to be fixed, but we don't want his features.
He says, when you're fixed, I want you to look like me, not just look well. Why is God taking so long? He's working on features. Why hadn't the door opened yet? It's not that we're not gifted enough or faithful enough or filled with enough faith. He says, you've got the gifting, the talent, the ability. But when I get you in there, I want them to see more than your gift and your grit. I want them to see me. So I'm taking my time with this thing, even though you're more gifted than some of them. Even though you're more anointed than some of them. I will not allow you to get away with what they're getting away with. They can get in the room and misrepresent me. My assignment on your life is different. So when you start comparing, you're going to end up confused. Because God's not going to allow you to walk in somebody else's oil. See, the anointing only falls on the authentic self. So when you're not the real you, your oil can't find you. That's why the devil's trying to infect some of us with an identity crisis. But somebody's getting a revelation tonight. I know who I am. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you don't like who I am and how I am, talk to my supervisor. Somebody that refuses to be boxed in, somebody that refuses to be anybody other than who God's called you to be, make some noise tonight. He put his DNA, he said, I want features. And I know that's tough in a gift-obsessed era. That's all that matters. Gift matters, not features. But what hinders the witness of the body and the body's ability to actually be salt and light in culture is the absence of features. He said, no, I got something different for you. So stop asking, God, why you let them? You not them. Watch this. You can't be different and not be different. I think the middle row got what I just said. I said, you can't be different and not be different. We walk around, I'm different, God. Like, that's right, you're different. And I'm going to deal with you differently. So when you do it, I'm, I'm, when you step out, I'm going to snatch you right back in. Run out there if you want to. You're not going to be able to stay long because my hand is on your life. You can run, but you cannot hide. When you call, God will stalk you like he did Jonah. You start running, he starts sending fish to wait on you, to swallow you up. And then after you, after you get swallowed up, he'll spit you out and say, now you still got to do what I told you to do. You did all that running and you still got to give me a yes. You went through all of that rebellion and you still got to give me a yes. Because his hand is on your life. Somebody prophesy and say, it's on me. 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 That's why I can't quit. Because it's on me. That's why I can throw in the towel. Because it's on me. 
That's why when, my, when I got embarrassed, I couldn't walk away because it's on me. He spits, puts his DNA on the man. And then he lays his hands on him. Wait a minute. Text says, this man gave Jesus his hand first. Now Jesus gives this man his hand. And he asked them this question. Can you see? Now, if Jesus is omniscient, he know the answer. So why does he ask the question? Can you see? I think one of the reasons he may be asking a question is this. He's trying to see how many problems do I have to fix here? I already know we got an eye problem. I need to see, do we have an honesty problem? I need to see, are you going to try to present yourself to me in a way that's inconsistent with where you really are? I want to know, do you trust me enough if it ain't all the way right? I want to know, do you believe my love is so conditional that you got to be dishonest with me about where you really are? And it's the man's honesty that triggered Jesus' second touch. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, God's looking for some people that'll be real. That if you're struggling, say, I'm struggling. Have you forgiven yet? Kind of, sort of. I'm not all the way there. Are you here? I want to know what kind of problem I got. He asked me, he said, can you see? And the man says, I see men, people who look like trees walking around. Now, wait a minute. If you're blind, depending on how long you've been blind, especially if you've been blind since birth. How do you know what trees or what men look like? The fact that he's able to say they look like trees means he had seen before and lost this vision. So because he had seen a tree in the past, he could see the tree in the present. He could identify what it is because he's seen it before. I'm going to see if somebody catch this. I say he can identify what it is because he's seen it before. He can identify what it is because he's seen it before. He can identify what it is because he's seen it before. Eyes haven't seen. Ears haven't heard. See, it's some stuff you're getting ready to walk into you had not seen before. But when you see it, you're going to say that's it because you've seen it before. Is there anybody here that's getting ready to walk into some doors you hadn't seen before, but you've seen it before? Everybody else is surprised. I'm not surprised. I saw this before. 
I see something. I see something. I'm almost done. I got four minutes. Y'all all right? Here it is. He asked the man. <laughs> I'm getting happy now. He asked the man. Can you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. So text says this. <laughs> it says, verse 25, once more. Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were open. Notice that the man didn't ask him to touch him again. But Jesus said, I'm about to do this without your permission. Because the fact that you can see a little bit is probably okay with you. Because it's better than being blind. But because I'm a finisher. I'm not going to let you get in the way of who I am. So I'm about to finish this without your permission. I'm telling somebody I came to the ATL tonight to let you know this next thing God's about to do in your life. He's going to do it and you ain't even asked for it. He says, I'm about to put you in rooms you didn't even ask for. I'm about to swing doors open you didn't even ask for. I'm about to make ways you didn't even ask for. You were about to settle for half seeing, but I am a finisher. So here's the question. When he touched him the first time, did he fail? I mean, come on, Jesus. One touch is not enough. Maybe the first touch wasn't designed. To heal him completely. Maybe the first touch was designed to stimulate his faith. And maybe this, watch this, maybe the method Jesus used with this miracle is actually a message he's trying to get to us. Maybe he could have healed the man with one touch if it's all about the man. But if he's trying to use this miracle to get a message to us. See now, be careful when you ask God to use you. Because when we say, Bishop, how you doing? When he say, when he say, when, when, we, when we say use me, what we really mean is use my gifts. If I don't want to just use your gifts, I want to use your life. And when I use your life, sometimes like Lazarus, I got to lay, let you lay in places longer than you want to. I got to let you stay in tombs four days when I can really get you out on one because I want to use your life to let somebody else know that no matter how long it's been dead, I can raise it up. 
And maybe he wants to use this man's life and this man's miracle to let us know in this place that if you feel like God's touched something and it is not all the way the way you envision not to be filled with anxiety and despair maybe God's getting ready to do it again somebody that believes God is not finished with you yet shout do it again you healed me before do it again you opened the door before do it again you made a way before do it again I'm done but I need to talk to somebody who feels like you contributed to your own calamity that God did touch and he did open the door but you made missteps and mistakes and you set yourself back you contributed to your own chaos I came to tell you the words of the prophet Joel who is actually prophesying uh, uh, the, 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 the coming of Jesus as he talks about the priest getting between the porch and the altar the altar God the porch people talking about the two natures existing in Jesus simultaneously that some theologians call a hypostatic union where you've got the divine and the human that are not intermingling and commingling together he says when the priests get between the porch and the altar I'll restore the years that the locusts and the canker worm and the caterpillar have stolen for you what does that mean? it doesn't mean that God goes back and gives you more time it means that he takes the time you got left and he does so much in the time you got left it makes up for the time you miss God's about to open one door and it's about to make up for ten that you miss somebody shout do it again I blew it the first time but I'm ready now do it again I want to hear Atlanta Raise the roof in this place tonight. I came tonight tell somebody not to settle for seeing trees I know it's better than being blind but it's still not God's best for you I know it's better than what it used to be but it's still not my best That first touch is just the beginning of the end. Thank you, Jesus. But I didn't sustain you for trees. And I didn't preserve you to see trees. 
And I didn't gift you and trust you with that investment that I made. Because that's a grace gift. It's a charismata. It is a grace gift. You didn't, you developed it, but you couldn't deposit it. So I trusted you with that gift. I didn't make that investment in you for you to settle for trees. And the scriptures teach us not to just pray for things, but to pray against them. Jesus teaches that in the model prayer. Deliver us from evil. And tonight I want to pray against this tendency, this leaning, the spirit that is influencing people to settle for trees. The world doesn't need people who are settling. Your family. Man, I've been on this thing lately, like with bloodlines. That's just been in my head, like bloodlines and what shifts gener. It takes one generation to shift a pattern of multiple generations. Like, do you get that? Like, one generation can shift the trajectory of multiple generations. We know nothing about Abraham's predecessors and ancestors, but we know God used one generation to shift multiple ones. You can't do that and settle for trees. God's not finished. There's another touch. The second touch. And he says, I'm going to put my hand on you because you've given me yours. You want to be more than fixed. You want to be led. And I won't let you settle. Even though settling feels easier, I won't let you settle. So, Father, tonight, as your word teaches us, we pray for deliverance from evil. And we identify settling as satanic. It's not benign. It's not amoral. It's satanic. It's a plot. It's a scheme. It's a method. It's a strategy of the enemy. And your word says we are not ignorant of his devices. We see it. And we pray against that. I pray for every weary heart in this room tonight. I pray for those who have been trying their best not to settle, but they are wrestling with faith fatigue. They are tired. Many of them are suffering from spiritual trauma because they believed before and were disappointed so greatly that it made their faith fractured 
I pray for healing from that tonight. I pray for a resurgence and a renewal of hope. I pray for refreshing. You said times of refreshing come from the Lord. So I pray that over your people. No settling. And we say in the language of antiquity, Lord, I'm running, trying to make a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half. Won't do. Now may your favor be upon us. And a thousand <laughs> generations. Your families and your children and their children. May your presence go before us and behind us, all around us and within us. You are with us. I pray that you would seal this word tonight in the hearts of your people. May we never be the same. May we never settle again. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands, ATL. I think we can do better than that. Clap your hands, ATL. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We hope you were encouraged. We hope you were blessed. I want you to receive this blessing, this benediction, as we prepare to go from this place. I'm excited about what God's about to do in your life, in your family, and the generations that are about to be shifted because you refused to settle. Stay tuned for what God's doing in Change Church in the ATL. We love to have you a part of our family. And as we pray for your house, you pray for this one. Thank you so much for being with us. Want to sing this over you tonight as you go. I want you to receive it, this blessing, through song. May his favor. May his favor be upon you. Have a thousand generations in your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May his favor, May his favor be upon you. Have a thousand May his presence go before you.
receive this benediction. May the Lord God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face of favor to shine upon you. May God be gracious to you. May he protect you. May he provide for you. And above all else, may he grant you peace. This is my prayer for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. May his face.